Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, weren't you a doctor yet fans? Alex here. Now we've got some live shows coming up, and we're really, really excited because these are the first live shows of 2018. On the 27th of July at 8pm, you can catch us at We The Curious. That's in Bristol. On Sunday, the 5th of August, we'll be at Wilderness Festival in Oxfordshire. And a couple of weeks later, on Friday the 17th, we will be at Green Man Festival in Wales. So if you live in or around those areas, like, come say hi. Come enjoy a night with us and, like, have some fun. (laughs) Is that... Was that to your nose? Is that... Come enjoy a night with us and have some fun. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Someone said that to me. I'm like, okay. Look, I've done six takes of this. Further information and ticket links are in the show notes below. Yeah, bye. This is for people who uh, love ASMR. What's ASMR? It's when you... um like listen to audio and it gives you like tingling feelings not is, oh is that thing it's like the opposite of misophonia coincidentally this is also for the people who have misophonia what is misophonia misophonia is when you find certain noises um really like frustrating so oh like chewing noises yeah or tapping mm. noises so this is either for people who love asmr and will find this brilliant or people who have misophonia and will hate this blueberries Hello and welcome to One You A Doctor Yet, the only podcast that uses cutting-edge science to answer the questions that you actually have. Things like, why is the sky blue, what's up with trees, and now that we've had Barbecue Becky and Permit Patty, who's next? I have no idea what you're talking about. Ticket Tina? No, you know the, the women who um, in America have been uh, calling either the police, actually the police in both cases, on was the first one a black guy just having a barbecue yeah just having a barbecue wow the second one was uh, a little girl selling water outside oh the house. I, I heard that one yeah yeah so who's next so it's barbecue wasn't Becky. there also the woman who called the police because a guy went into a starbucks and used a toilet without like buying anything yeah yeah starbucks which is point. clearly like a thing you call the police for oh yeah obviously yeah yeah um, i'm gonna say it's something Susan. Oh, um. What's a thing that begins with S? Susan. I'm thinking sleep, but then there's already been the person who called the police because a fellow student was asleep oh my in God. like the hallway or something. Yes. 
Sleepy Susan, but yeah. that's already been a thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I mean, anything we can think of has probably already happened. God. It's, it's fun, isn't it? Being <laughs> not white. <laughs> I'm your host, Alex Lathbridge. I'm a PhD student in computational biology and biochemistry, a comedian, and I am addicted to blueberries right now. They are Moorish. Can you be addicted to blueberries? You can okay. be addicted to like any sort of behavior. Oh, no. So surely e- eating blueberries let's is... Let's not go down that route. It's dangerous for me. <laughs> On my left, as always, I have Oz Ismail. Oz is a PhD student in neuroimaging and dementia, a Tinder aficionado, and is a compendium of not only awkward sexual advice, but advice on how to get an American visa. All of this I will write into my memoirs. (laughs) What are you going to title your memoirs? Confessions of a Sexually Charged Nerd. I was going to suggest Sri Lankan Paddington. Confessions of Sri Lankan Paddington, the sexually charged nerd. My dad calls my mum Tamil Paddington quite a lot. Why? Because like when, particularly in winter, she's wearing like a hat and a coat. Like she really does look like Paddington proportions. Wait, wait, wait. your mum is from Singapore? Yeah, but she's, her family's from Tamil Nadu in India. And your dad is Scottish? English. That's That's a hate crime. Report your dad. <laughs> There's probably quite a lot of hate crimes that happen in our house. Do it. It'll be bans. <laughs> It'll be jokes. Oh Does that mean that I've just committed a hate crime against us? Oh my God. Wait, 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 wait. Let's have a think about this after I introduce you. On my right, I have Hannah Ayub. Hannah is an amazing creative producer, a zoologist, and she is allergic to a lot of animals. Like, a lot of them. Like, a whole lot of them. It's endearing in the way that a small puppy is endearing. Small puppies are amazing, but I can't be near them. (laughs) She's also a few shades of brown off of Oz, so does that count as a hate crime? Like, let's work it out. I am the whitest person in the room. I think you are, and I think that's a hate crime. I'm sorry. That's okay. You're a little brown, so we'll let it off. So, guys, today we don't have Sahail. Oh, where is he? What happened? What did you do to him? He's legitimately got work. He's out filming until, like, super late tonight, and we can't get him into the studio. Also, you do realise, Alex, this looks... The two of us look bad because last time Hannah wasn't here because Hannah had real things to do. This time Suhail's not here because Suhail had real things to do. People are going to know, man, that we're the two who have nothing better to do. We have, th- no, we, we have lives. That It's just that our lives are a bit more flexible around coming into a studio into the evening and recording a comedy plus science plus pop culture podcast. I will go with that. Right? Makes me feel better about myself. Whatever it takes for you to sleep at night. I barely sleep at night. I still think you're to blame for Sahel not being here. Be that as it may. Guys, what have you been up to this week? Uh, so this week's been fun. Uh, so Pride's coming up. But by the time this goes out, I guess it will already have been the Pride Parade. But we did a gig for Pride. All of us did a gig for Pride. Yeah. It's the first time we'd all gig together. That's true. Mm. That's true. Yeah, it was a comedy night at the Science Museum, which I hosted, and these two turned up and absolutely bossed it. The, the best laugh I had of the night was when uh, 
I got heckled by someone um, only to respond with, you have a shockingly piss poor hairline. Do I need to teach you about the concept of a shape up? And the bloke behind him pissed himself laughing. <laughs> Just went, Ha! <laughs> that was that was a brilliant laugh. <laughs> and I felt like I felt like if you can get a laugh like that thrown at you by someone who isn't on stage and who is with an arm's distance, you have to fight them. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> you, have, you have to take them outside. For sure. But no, it was fun. It was really, really great. Uh, Hannah, what have you been up to this week? I've done far too much this week. Mostly good things though. Um so freelance work is really picking up a lot quicker than I thought it would. Um, gig was great fun um, I went to a really interesting discussion about museums in an age of me too that was quite interesting so what's that it was looking at how art particularly art museum curators should should or shouldn't um, be changing the way that they put exhibitions together in an age where we're sort of questioning the status quo and the power dynamic between men and women, looking at how we look at artists through history if we now know things like that they abused their daughters or, you know, they had incestuous relationships with their sisters. And how we should deal with that um so there's quite a lot of interesting debate about sort of censorship versus challenging things and it was, it was very interesting so this week i've done like a lot of writing up like lots of papers for my research um so that's been absolutely soul destroying because there's only so many ways that i can write up i did this i did this it worked it sort of didn't work it worked kind of well we need to do more work and <laughs> the end the, uh, genuinely yeah. the end and I'm, I'm pitching it you know if pitching it it feels like you're pitching it when you when you send things out to be reviewed by other people to go into papers um for papers to go into journals but yeah it's so yeah, destroying yeah. yeah um but i started sure. a new batch of experiments for my phd and it's going to be like the final run of experiments um, wow. yeah so we're gearing up like to the home stretch of my phd experiments uh because I'm moving back to London in November. Woo! So that's the hope anyway. And then I need you when you're back to tell me that it's going to be okay. Because you're going to get out the other side before me. Mm -hmm. And I need you to pull me through this shit. I mean, you'll still be in America. Yeah, but still, it's going to be dark. Mm. It's going to be dark. Because until I submit that thesis, life is not going to be good. Okay. <laughs> So guys, have you seen anything interesting in the news this week? I'm not even going to give you time to respond because I have. Sounds like you have a lot to say, Alex. Well, I have things that I you feel have a lot to say. should Come be on. shared. No, Share. Have Share. You, have you guys heard of the Met Gang Matrix? No. What is that? I've heard of it, but I don't know anything more about it. So the Met Gang Matrix is its database. And it's a database that's filled with people um, who the police think uh, pose a risk. It was set up really after the London riots. And it was set up to combat organized crime, organized gangs, you know, mm. war on gangs, all that shit. Um, and that's a really important thing. No one's denying it. The issue that you have right now is that on this database of, I think, almost 4,000 people, or three and a half to 4,000 people, um, almost nine in 10 of those people are black or Asian or like minority ethnic. That's insane. So that's 89% of them. That is crazy. 89% of the people are 
black, Asian, or minority ethnic. Just, just so I can get it in my head, how does that represent, like, the population? Like, well, how dispro- that's the obviously disproportionate. Right? Yeah. So London as a whole, um, when you look at the 2011 census, mm. is about 60% white. So that means, you know, we've got 40% of London being um, black, Asian, or um, ethnic minority. But now you've got a gang's matrix that is 89%. <laughs> That's so crazy. 89% BAME, so black, Asian, minority, ethnic. Right, so how do they justify this? So what they've said is that they've got suspects on there who um, are involved in, in gang crime. Cool. But they've also got a lot of people who aren't criminals or don't really have criminal intent. So how do they end up on there? So what they have is sort of, it's like a prediction algorithm. And that sort of worries me because um, my PhD uses a lot of prediction algorithms. And I write a lot of prediction algorithms. So I know that prediction algorithms, very easy to get wrong. What um, Amnesty UK have said is that this gang's matrix and sort of scoring of people in a sort of black mirror-esque way of are they known criminals or could they potentially have gang affiliation based off of lots of data that they're pulling Mm. um, is actually a breach of human rights again i'm i'm speaking a lot of hypotheticals because not a lot of information is out there on the gang's matrix um some mps have lobbied for it sort of saying like and they've got sort of stats on the breakdown of um demographics so that's how we know that there are 90 percent um bame on there and like out of that sort of 90 or 89 percent um 78 percent of them are black so yeah um wow yeah so further freedom of information requests haven't like been super successful currently um what they're doing is they're they're predicting and they're predicting based off of common factors that they found in the database so they've got known criminals in the database they can say okay well, based off of the common factors that we have, um, so that might be behavior, that might be uh, where they've gone, that might be um, places they frequent, you know, all of these things. Like, that makes sense, right? Police work. If you're doing that, if I'm like, if I know there's a criminal gang, I know that they're here, I know that they're, uh, at, you know, every second Sunday they'll be in this location, they sometimes, you know, will go back and forth between these two postcodes or whatever um, in this type of car. That's good police work. Yeah, sure. But like for for, crim- for known criminals, for known criminals, for one situation. Yeah. If you're like doing one case, cool. But what's a worry in this case mm-hmm. is that they're applying sort of technology to this big technology. So data prediction. And in some cases, Amnesty have found that um, officers have used social media information without a warrant wow so they're scraping people's social media information and your digital profile and pulling that together with other information you have so probably financial information probably you know like police records like all of these things and presumably like they get access to this the social media big on open profiles right yeah it's yeah so that's like what we leave as a public profile like okay so here's my my big issue my big issue is because like those all those things come together and they allow you to find certain factors that might be predictors so if you've got 
like social media, you can do things like visual data analysis. So you can say, okay, what pictures they posted up? You can analyze those. You can do audio data analysis, like say they link to music or whatever. Location, you can get geolocation. You can get like time and dates and you can work out when people are active online, what's this? And you can work out the, the profile, the digital profile of a supposed gang criminal. And that you can do things like sentiment analysis, which is reading tweets or Facebook posts or Instagram posts for emotion. So that's like a positive or negative feeling. So you can be like, well, 75% of our uh, known criminals on our gang's database expressed negative sentiment about the police. So that becomes a predictor. You can wow, no, so think about that's it. That's so dangerous. No, no, so think about it. Think about it. So I'm, I'm, I'm being sort of semi-facetious with this, but like imagine a hypothetical breakdown where it's like, you've got a a data set that they have of known criminals let's say they've got known criminals from this they've said okay well 62 percent of these known criminals live within two miles of a certain postcode uh, 80 percent have been in police custody before the age of 16 33 percent have shared uh, anti-police or anti-government sentiment in social media in the last 12 months 55 percent of them are fans of dragon ball z <laughs> Or have liked Dragon Ball Z like Facebook page or have linked to Dragon Ball Z memes or something. I'm being facetious with the last point, but I'm really not because I know some people who are about that lifestyle who who fucking love Dragon Ball Z. Like I, I've got people who I know from when I was very, very, very young who are now doing dumb things who honestly an hour long conversation about who would beat um, one another, Vegeta versus Goku, like really super into that, super nerdy. So what's happening is that parts of culture are becoming criminalized that's what i was gonna say so like they're literally taking like information about how a criminal a group of criminals behave and then making these kind of links yes just based on their behavior and yes. then connecting that behavior to people who aren't involved in, cri in well, criminal stuff potentially right? because those people become false positive because everyone gets a score on this matrix so it can be zero it can be much much higher like a hundred hundred obviously would be like this person is probably super criminal i don't know the exact scoring because mm. again information isn't being released on this i'm just spitting a hypothetical um but what's really happening and what has been confirmed is that things like drill music are being um sort of used as one of the predictors so you start criminalizing things in the same way they criminalized grime in the same way people in the past have criminalized rap but right now they're able to do it using computational algorithms yeah, so that means that if someone like me who likes a certain artist yeah listens to them i could potentially be picked up and put on this gang matrix i could have i could be there with a really low like low score because i don't do all of the other behaviors <laughs> Do you know what? Do you know what this is like? I'm thinking it's like they're going to turn this into some kind of like credit rating type system, exactly. aren't they? Like Black Mirror, but yeah. because that's what's happening right now. So people get red flags and they're on this database. They're red flagged on the database. But we don't really know how this database could be used. So if it's shared between other government agencies, mm. imagine going to try and get a student loan, trying to apply for university, trying to get a job, trying to rent you find out you're on a criminal database yeah or you don't find out you, you know, know you're, you're just yeah. turned away and you're, not given a reason exactly and all that comes from the fact that you have been predicted to be on this database why well, i've been predicted on this database because the database has been trained on a sample group that is very heavily black from 
London. Mm. So that means, imagine uh, one of their predictors was, oh, frequents this barber's. Like, I go to a barber's in a pretty dodgy place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Be- like, you know, imagine, oh, because some people who are on the criminal database also go there, I get put onto the same database. Like, that's messed up. Or you like a certain type of music. Or posting on social media with certain phrases, certain turns of phrase. Hmm. You know? So I mean, it, it, like, it worries me. Like, I, I always feel like at some level this is already going on right like for me for example like looking at things like the muslim ban and stuff mm. like that where large groups of people just based on where they originally came from are have restrictions on where they can travel to like to me like that's it's it's, it's stuff like that's already happening mm. right things like this can may only make that worse exactly right? and it's, here's the thing like you aren't going to have a lot of people talking about it because, well, if you do this, you're going to make it harder for black people. You're going to make it harder for other minority mm. people to get into education, get into being able to rent somewhere, being yeah. able to get a job and skill up. So it becomes a form of racial profiling and a yeah. form of oppression through the use of technology and technology that people sometimes think, oh, doesn't have bias, technology is neutral. It's not because you can train code to be biased by having biased data Data going in. That's right. And then like, it's this dangerous place where it's like, oh, but the the scientific data says this is what's happening. What, What I find really interesting about this is how almost the data and the algorithms have mirrored a bias that I think is really present in British society, which is actually it all being more about culture than race or behaviour. Well, it, it is. But, but I think it's specifically that bias against different behaviour, behaviour that essentially isn't the norm very much in inverted commas, being seen as deviant. And then it's almost that one step further to criminalising it. How, how large is the database? Do it's you know? three and a half thousand people, just under 4,000, okay. yeah, three and a half to 4,000 people. That's off of data that was released about six weeks ago. Yeah. When you're talking about the fact that it mirrors um, bias that's already mm. present in the UK, well, yeah, think about it. If the data set going in is based off known gang members, how are they known gang members? Because they've been arrested. Mm. Or if there's bias in police um, arresting you, if there's bias in police mm-hmm. stopping and searching, if there's bias in all police interactions within a community, mm-hmm. you are going to get more people who look on paper as if they've committed a crime and are criminal. And so you get that false feedback loop. So I was talking about it on Twitter and someone mentioned um, Weapons of Math Destruction. I think it's a book. And they talked about this idea of a false feedback loop so that the things that they measure aren't these independent uh, indicators mm-hmm. of the thing that they're looking for, but they create this false validation. That's exactly what it is. They think, oh, we've got this model. It's perfectly valid because look, we're getting people in. Look, we're, we're predicting who are mm-hmm. um, criminals. And it doesn't matter that actually you're going to get a lot of false positives there because you don't care that they're false positives, that they're mm-hmm. actually innocent because you don't see them necessarily in the same way you see Becky from the home counties, you know, it's 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 the same thing, and it's it's terrifying. Like, you know, you're not there using owns a pair of shoes 
as prediction algorithm or breathes air as prediction algorithm. <laughs> you know, like there are lots of things that would yeah. be like, oh, that's really stupid to use as a prediction. Um, we would never use the fact that owns a hairbrush, um, mm. even though all these people obviously own a hairbrush or urinates because I do that too. That would be silly. But because they don't understand culture, mm. they see them as the exactly. other, they mm. assume that, oh, oh that, that weird thing, that drill music, yes, only the gangsters like this. Yes, yes. Mm. You know, and that's so messed up because once it gets codified into a thing like this gang matrix, it becomes official. Mm. It becomes this monolith that no one looks behind the curtain of and it can go on to affect people in really terrifying ways. Yeah, and I just feel like it's one of those things where people will look behind the curtain once something terrible has happened, Yeah, mm. you know, really terrible. Yeah. And then they'll be like, oh, the computer made a mistake. Yeah. What are we going to do now? Yeah. You know? And they'll blame the computer. I'll, I'll we'll yeah. look into it. But I'm like, this is, these are people's lives mm. being affected. So uh, I have a question off the back of this. Is it, are they doing it for crime, just general crime in London? Or are they, is this going to be rolled out to terrorism as well? Because like, that's a whole other ballpark, like a ball game, isn't it? So they do it currently for gang crime in London. That's the major thing. But, there are similar things being rolled out in places like Manchester as well. Mm. They, they found out that they do, they do in fact do similar things there. So this isn't a unique case that's unique to London. <laughs> not even sure if it's unique to the UK. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I saw it and saw the fact that it was a database that has an you know, prediction and scoring of people in there, I was yeah. like, that sounds like my PhD, except replace people with yeah. you know proteins. I'm like, I have fucked up so much coding and not known about it until a year later. Mm -hmm. So how can you, if you fuck up, you won't know because you'll be affecting someone's life. Yeah. If I tried to publish something that had a data set that was 90% A and 10% B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, like you'd be like, of course, this is rubbish. You put rubbish in, you're going to yeah. get rubbish out. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, well, these people are just more likely to be, like, oh, fuck's sake. It's just, it really, 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 really annoys me. Mm. Um, because, and also, it makes it also makes me wonder, like, who are the people behind this technology? You know, are they people who understand the different, like, the diversity of, of some, a place like London? No, it's like, oh, yeah. it's frustrating. Yeah, it's so frustrating. Because if someone like me were working there and say, I saw that, oh, it's predicting goes to this barber's i'd be like no everyone goes to a barber's or likes this music no lots of people like this music mm. you'd be like that's common sense but common sense isn't common when it's defined by culture you know and that's and that's just it's messed up and i'm not sure there's a lot we can do to change it but i know that various mps are looking into it and really sort of pushing mm. and amnesty are really pushing this so uh if you are listening like really write your MP about this because it's really, really important. People often ask what makes Chaotic Adequate different from the other live play RPG podcasts available on the fabulous internet. Well, other podcasts are heartbreakingly without actual scholar of horror, Amanda DeJoya. We're not 
prisoners? We're your You're new... our prisoners. No, 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 no. <laughs> I want to speak to the top priest. I want to speak to the manager. <laughs> they sorely lack comedian and actor Angus Dunnikin. She's uh, me, by the way. I say to this dragon, Hello, are you the homeowner? <laughs> The dragon looks almost offended that you would imply that he was renting. And uh, other podcasts are tragically bereft of the scientist, comedian, and semi-professional troll, Steve Cross. Oh, I love Chagrin Battlefounder, come to rescue you. Do you want to roll for potential seduction? Crucially, though, most D&D podcasts have a writer, creator, and dungeon master who's actually played the game before. We, conversely have Gregory Aikman. There's about 18 different possible quest lines you're going to take and, <laughs> and, and you invented a new one. New episodes each week, new characters to meet, slash accidentally murder, and always new things to get a bit wrong. Join us in the world of chaotic adequate. It's, it's very silly. On a happier note now... <laughs> <coughs> Guys. The world is dying. That's not very happy. Is it not? The, the is poor it? world is dying. No, that's not happy at all. Okay, so in the news recently, I've seen that China has stopped accepting foreign waste, like foreign recycling. It's no mm. longer going to import that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's an interesting news story because it made me really think about where we know, and I, I, I quite simply put recycling in the recycling bin, right? But how often do I stop to think about what happens there? How often do I think about what can actually can and can't go in there? Because recycling is confusing. Like just generally, like I've lived in different parts of the UK and different towns. And like it's different everywhere you go, right? Have you guys seen the new um, Kickstarter? It's a guy that's made um, these lights that will light up based off of your council website. I saw that on yes. Twitter. Yes. yes. So it's, it's, these are their little bin LEDs that light up. <laughs> so you'll know when what day to put the bins out and which bins to put out because like the green bin will light up or the black bin or, you know, the little food bin. It's great. Um, so mm. I'll, we'll put the link in the show notes below. But yeah, bins, recycling, all of that stuff. Really, really, di- it's the most difficult part of being an adult. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Uh, I, I don't want to reveal to you how much worse it's going to get. <laughs> Is that not... Wait, what? What? <laughs> you child, you you innocent, innocent yeah. baby. No, but you're right, you're right, okay? So it is, it is one of those things where you're like, life is too hectic and I am, put, I am doing my bit for recycling, but it's not really that simple, right? So the whole, the whole China story... Mm. The reason it surfaces is because for a long time we have been sending a lot of our recyclable waste to China and they've been dealing with it, right? Yeah. So uh, in the UK, we produce around 22 million tonnes of waste a year. So much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know how much 22 million tonnes is? That's Yeah, I'm struggling to actually picture it. All right, 22 million tonnes is just over one twentieth of all human uh, weight so the weight of every human in the world yeah so the uk alone mm-hmm. produces waste that mm-hmm. weighs the same as one twentieth of the human beings on earth yes so <laughs> wow. that is how much waste so, a lot. so much that's right? a l- it is it is 3.7 times the weight of the great pyramid of giza it, and is all of that go well until the ban was all of that going to china um so out of that, uh, 44% of it's recycled, so just under 10 million tonnes. Okay. Yeah. And so that's recycled locally? 
that's just recycled that's recycled in okay. general um and two-thirds of our plastic recycling from the uk it's, it gets exported i don't know how much actually goes to china itself so most of that used to go to china really? but then china then said so what china does is they take it on and they turn it into stuff so they make toys out of it they they resell it to other parts of the world but they then decided to stop doing this because the the quality of the recycling that was being sent over was bad so basically people we we are probably all guilty of it right we just put stuff in the recycling mm-hmm. bin that's not meant to be there that's fuck that. then contaminated fuck that Fuck your plastic. I don't want it anymore. It's trash. Throw it away. Your trash is trash. Your, your, your rubbish is rubbish. Yeah. Throw it away. I don't want it anymore. China's closed yeah. for business. He's like, put it in the bin. No, don't. Because we can't, we can't recycle anymore. See, like, you might often go to events where there isn't any recycling facility. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason for that is that some of the most sustainable events have to sort the waste in order to actually recycle most of it. Because people are awful mm. and will just throw anything into any bin. If that is you, right, if you are a person that does this, feel shame. You have, I'm going to say, irreparably damaged anglo sino relations, all right? You've probably killed some turtles, too. (laughs) You think about that, people. I mean, we're all guilty of it. I love how we're just like, are you people with your... You say with our plastic drink bottles. (laughs) So basically, the reason China has stopped doing it, accepting this waste, is because the the quality of waste that we're putting into recycling is bad. So we're contaminating it with things that genuinely cannot be recycled or it's got other rubbish in it. And it's impossible to then sort that because it's the level of contamination is too much. So they then can't do the useful things that they were do- were doing with it, like making stuff or like selling it on to make other plastics and so on. So they've decided that it was becoming a problem for them because it's building up there and it's bad quality stuff that they can't do anything with. So they've decided, okay, that's it. And now it's not a complete ban. They, w- they are still taking a small proportion of good quality recycling, but a large amount of it is now building up in the UK. So where, where is it building up in the UK? Around landfill. So basically all of this then ends up in landfill. Mm. So that's where we send our general waste. Mm-hmm. It's now it's building up and building up and building up. And so, so, so the stuff that we're sorting into recycling bins in each of our houses is ending up in the same place as the stuff we're putting in the other bin. According to these stories, yeah, in theory, this is where it's all going to end up. So we have to find a solution yeah. pretty soon. Otherwise, we we can't just keep putting everything in landfill. So the main thing that's been talked about is the idea of that, that warm plastics, mm. you know, the fact that we are polluting the water, we aren't recycling things, like we're just ending up throwing things in the landfills, that's ending up going into the water, and then smaller animals are eating it you know you're killing turtles you know you've got that really well-known image of the seahorse clutching Mm. the um q-tip yeah Mm -hmm. i mean there's there's a few there's a few images like that have like have surfaced recently how they're like so there's that video of that diver um this guy called rich rich horner he went he was diving with a camera and he's swimming through this large body of water and swimming through loads and loads of plastic and it's things like that that end up on social media and people are like holy shit we're polluting we're killing the earth and that's i think driving a lot of this this war on plastics as you say because people are suddenly being very aware of it even though this has been a growing problem and also we haven't really been thinking about what we're doing with plastics until 
like stuff like that started to come up. Wait, Oz, did you you spoke to an expert about this, right? Yeah, so I caught up with our materials expert who we have had on this podcast, Anna Pajajski, and she has some very interesting takes on this whole war on plastics. My take on this is that plastic is absolutely not the problem. Plastics are amazing materials. Okay, we developed them in the early 20th century um, and we use them for everything. And the reason that they're so great is because they're extremely lightweight. They can be made really, really cheaply. You can make them in any colors. They can be transparent. They can be thin. For their weight, they are super strong. Um, And they're just like a wonder material. Like they're really, really amazing. So the problem that I think we have is that as human beings we've come to view plastics as something that is disposable and mm. we've got this term single use plastics mm. which we don't have for any other materials right we don't have single use metals we don't have single use like ceramic do you know what i mean like, right right so it's the way we're using plastic is the problem more than plastic itself yes we use plastics because so often they are the best material for a certain job let's have a look at our recording studio what is plastic in here well firstly the headphones that we're recording into and the cables are plastic, mm. coated in plastic on the outside. If we didn't have plastics, we wouldn't have access to electronic devices. Yeah. Because plastic is an excellent, um, flexible electrical insulator that okay. protects us from the electricity. <laughs> if we didn't have plastics, we wouldn't be able to record this right now. The majority of our clothes will contain um, flexible materials, stretchy elastomers like nylons, like... Um, elastane elastic materials and these all count as plastics yeah wow did not know that yeah so we wouldn't be wearing pants (laughs) (laughs) we wouldn't be wearing my trousers probably (laughs) (laughs) generally it's it's very hot listeners all i can think about is just stripping (laughs) it is that hot it's a very hot day it's a summer You just have to forgive her. (laughs) Right. So we wouldn't be recording this. We wouldn't be wearing any clothes. Um, Most of the furniture in this room is made of plastic because it's extremely strong. Mm. Um, We wouldn't have that fan that isn't currently on. (laughs) (laughs) We wouldn't have any money because our credit cards and our cash is made of plastic now. (laughs) The economies would collapse. You literally, if you think... Like you wouldn't be able to cycle anywhere because your Mm. tires are made of rubber. You wouldn't have any shoes because all shoes contain rubber. It's so permeant in our lives. Like we just wouldn't be able to survive without plastic. So it's, it's unrealistic to ban plastics. What we need to do is change our own attitudes towards them and think about not only what we do with our plastics waste, but what we do with all our materials waste. Plastics have come to the fore, I think, because... They're so lightweight. They float in the seas. It's very obvious. We can see these visuals of huge, you know, um, mounds of plastic the size of countries floating around in the oceans. Um, we also throw away all of our other materials, right? That's a good point, isn't it? Like All of our other materials are in landfills as well. Mm-mm-mm. But we're not crying about those because they don't float in the seas. They sink in the seas and we don't see them. Right. So they just don't make good enough headlines, basically. Yeah, I think that's wow. true. So the problem is that because we use them for packaging for things that are um, edible or disposable in other ways, um, that packaging then has only a single use for us, if that makes sense. Right. So we only need to have this plastic packaging to contain our grapes. And once we've eaten the grapes, we have no other use for it. And so that's why so much of the plastic that we use in our day-to-day lives ends up being thrown away. 
often we think of it as being recyclable and so we'll willingly put it into a recycling bag right but often actually when we do that either it ends up at a local authority that can't recycle that plastic or even if they can recycle it a lot of our plastic gets exported to china mm. now here's the interesting thing um in january of this year china said that they wanted to start cleaning up their country fair enough yeah. <laughs> um and as a result they said that they were going to stop importing so much of the plastic that gets shipped to them not just plastic actually all sorts of recyclable materials a lot of them get recycled in china um but china have said actually we're going to stop doing this this isn't benefiting our country so much um and so you're going to have to deal with it on your own. We see plastics floating around in the sea because they are so amazing, because they're really strong, they're virtually indestructible, and they're really lightweight. They're lighter than seawater. That's why they float. Mm. Okay, That's basic science. Um, and so we end up with these huge flotillas of, of plastic bottles and all the rest of it um, because plastic is so amazing, because it floats. Um we don't like seeing this, I think, because it reminds us of how terrible human beings are. Right. It, it, it's a physical manifestation of the fact that we are just a disposable, throwaway culture. I guess that we are currently in a world where people want to do the right thing. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And a lot of doing the right thing is trying to save the world. And that's what this war on plastics is being framed as. It's you know mm. leaving the world in a great condition. But is there more to it than that? Because Hannah, I know you have a lot of views on how people think about things. I think there are quite a lot of environmental issues, including recycling, palm oil, conservation of some species, where we in the West, but I think from mostly, you know, sort of well-meaning places end up sort of doing this thing where we sort of make decisions and we decide what people should be doing as if we're making decisions for the whole planet, you know? And quite often, I think it ends up with people sort of pointing fingers at less well-off areas of the world and sort of saying, you should be doing this. Um, there are countries that still don't have access to clean water. So how can you say we are going to completely ban plastic drink bottles in those countries? Um, and also for like, this is an interesting point because so there are countries in southeast asia right they get a lot of the blame for like the the images that come out of the plastic mm. building up in the world are usually from southeast asian countries and then people start almost demonizing these countries yeah. because they have these large amounts building up but really no one stops to really think about the fact that okay there's a lot of single-use plastics that are building up there it's also driven by the fact that it's a Western problem because sing- things that come in single-use plastics, it's like cheaper for people to buy, right? So then they have to use it. Like In Ghana, um, don't generally drink the running water. Mm. So drink bottled water or bag water you buy from the side of the road. I mean, this is, this is exactly it. Like this is a problem in even countries like uh, Cambodia where, you know, their, their water filtration system isn't good enough to to cope with the water for people to drink it straight after that. We, we're in a place of privilege where we're like, open the tap, drink it. It's good enough to drink. Mm. There are a lot of countries that don't have that. They have to rely on filtered bottled water. Mm. You know, also in places where you think would have it, such as the US, such as Flint, Michigan, still doesn't have safe water. Also, I mean, Terry it's Cruz interesting. Yeah, that. But that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's like, on one hand, it's places that people think, oh, far away, poor countries, but it's happening everywhere. There's like Mm. places that you don't think about. I think there's also like this sense of, because people want to solve the problem, and the more cynical part of me is also people want to be seen to be solving the problem. They sort of pick on these easy things, like let's ban plastic bottles, let's Mm. ban plastic straws, and don't look at like the grand problem with, like you're saying, like cheap consumables that right. are sort of just pumped out into mm. you know society. I mean, there's some awful, awful stats about how much the plastic in our oceans is actually from fishing gear, not from anything that most of us have control over, you know, or th- things beyond that that almost no one has control over. So the Great Pacific plastic patch, there's an estimate that 20% of that was from the Japanese tsunami. Like facts like that make me think that surely rather than just almost trying to curb what we're doing now we need to be going one step further and being like how do we actually get rid of the waste that's already out there mm, mm. you can't say to these people mm. be richer yeah yeah, yeah oh, it, it would, have you tried not being poor <laughs> <laughs> you... I, I try every day <laughs> Well, part of the problem is that we've already 
created all of this shit. Mm. Um, you know, we both live quite privileged lifestyles. We both live in London. Mm. We can afford to buy packaged food or not packaged food uh, where it's available to us. Not everybody has this option. Right. Um, added to that, lots of people require using what lo- what other people are considering disposable plastics um, in their day-to-day lives. People with mobility issues often need to use plastic straws, for example. My gran, when she was living on her own still, really made use of pre-cut vegetables out of plastic packaging. Right, and she right. wouldn't have been able to live uh, such an independent life were that not available to her. Um, so a lot of the arguments around anti-plastic, I perceive as being quite ableist. Um, and it it doesn't necessarily describe the full picture of how all humans rely on plastics. Mm. I'll give you the example of a cucumber, mm-hmm. right? A cucumber that isn't shrink-wrapped in plastic will last three days on a supermarket shelf before it is unsellable. Okay. Um, a plastic shrink-wrapped cucumber will last for three weeks Wow. before it becomes unsellable. Um, and so, if I mean, I'm not an economist, but it's quite clear to see that if you're having to produce three times more cucumbers because 90% of them keep getting thrown away because people don't yeah. buy them quickly enough, um, that doesn't seem like a very sustainable way of going about food production. Um, so actually in this example, and in lots of soft fruits and vegetables that we enjoy so much, um, wrapping them in plastic is the only way that we will ever be able to consume them in anything that even approximates being sustainable because of this issue of food waste. And mm. that these are very, um, oh, what's the word? Like degrade, well, I don't know, mm. degradable foods. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Spoilable foods, I yeah, guess. Yeah. And so when we see these food shops that are so-called zero waste, I look at those and think that they're actually extremely wasteful. A huge amount of the... Um, of the CO2 emissions from food actually comes from food that we don't consume and then right. it will degrade and release CO2 as it decomposes. Um, so, you know, an unwrapped bag of grapes is not necessarily the most sustainable option. If you think about it, right, there's this, there's this other angle to it as well where we're just like like wagging our fingers uh, being like, why can't we all recycle, Right. And it just seems to be like an easy thing and we should just be doing it. But there's there's the, we should be doing it to save the planet. But also think about parts of the world where people have to do it because by collecting recyclables, that's their only income. Mm. There are parts of, you know, Asia, South Africa, uh, even some parts of the States where people literally will go around collecting this because that's their only income, you know? So there are like so many other parts, there's, there's so many sides to the story. And I feel like this whole demonizing plastics is the only thing we're hearing and people are all going crazy about it and not really seeing everything else happening around it. Um, so there's places like Cambodia, right? So they're, they're, they're running like clean water, access to clean water is still a problem to, to large parts of the population. So they will have to rely on, you know, bottled water. Um, places like, uh, Sri Lanka and the Philippines, where people literally will collect recyclable material, go around because a, a lot of the time that's their only source of income. So they exchange that for money and they have to exchange quite a lot of this material to get to a tiny amount of money, you know. Um, same with even San Francisco, that homeless people do this, right? They homeless old people, they go around. That's the only way they can survive. They're like documented stories of people doing this on a daily basis going really early in the mornings to these exchange centers 
just so that they can, you know, get their meal that day. Then there are other places like, so like there's countries like Brazil where a, a large amount of plastic pollution building up in the rivers cause floods. And there's this one lady who's very specifically decided that she was going to do something about it because a flood, there was a flood where, you know, her whole house flooded and she saw her neighbor float past her dead. And she was like, I never want to see, like, that's a horrifying image to see your neighbor float past you, right? And it, it, she was like, I have to do something. I am one person, I have to do something and start this initiative to clean up the rivers. So it's just so much darker and so much more emotional, I think, when you look at other parts of the world. And then it just suddenly makes me, like sitting here, feel ashamed. that I'm like, oh, we should all recycle because it's a good thing to do, you know? But I mean, what you've described there is... I guess there's a duality there because in some cases uh, you've got stories that are quite sad mm. um, which are you know, real pushes to um, potentially ban plastics, right? You know, if they're causing someone's lives to be worse, you know, killing people. But then on the other hand, you've got instances where plastics and the recycling of them mm. are people's only livelihood. And if they exactly. were taken away, um, those people wouldn't be able to survive. But in the countries where recycling has been incentivized to the point that Mm. it's become part of people's livelihoods is there then a higher rate of recycling when there's that financial Mm. incentive rather than just like a moral imperative i think these incentivized schemes work brilliantly the plastic bag charge of 5p stopped it reduced plastic bag usage by 80 percent in the uk which is a phenomenal behavioural change over a whole population. Like, that's incredible. Um, what's a bit sad about it is that the, the only way to get through to people in terms of giving plastics a value is to literally give it a monetary value that was going to come out of people's wallets. Mm, um, yeah. So I think, yeah, that's one of the sad things is that it's really driven by economics. You can show people as many turtles as you like, but the only thing that's going to change behaviour is through people's wallets. I don't know if you saw this story. Militant group against <laughs> a Somali militant group, Al Shahab, uh, announced ban on single-use plastics. It poses a serious threat to the well-being of humans and animals alike. Oh, but militant groups don't. <laughs> Uh, but on the flip side, uh, I also read this news story about Australia trying to introduce a plastic bag charge and there was chaos. Like apparently some uh, poor shop assistant got grabbed by the throat because someone was so pissed off about it. So then they had to withdraw the plastic bag charge so that people could get accustomed to the idea. <laughs> that, wow. um, so it's not really being that well received in some you know, parts of the world, I guess. Mm. Well, what's really interesting about this, and maybe this is taking it too far, but I feel like what the Australians were getting angry about was that they felt it was their right to to own these free plastic objects. Mm. And so, I don't know, there's some kind of interesting human psychology there. Like, people want to own these things, to use them once and then to throw them away. Like, that's a very, you want to dispose of things. You want everything to be new and then to dispose of it. Mm. Um you can take this as far as you want, but like it seems like there's a very unhealthy 
attitude there surrounding it's my right to have this free plastic object yeah yeah because yeah. it has absolutely no value and it's my right to do with it what i like and then throw it wherever i want yeah yeah like that doesn't seem like a very nice yeah person <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the person who probably grabbed someone's neck is uh, probably has other issues to address yeah but what is it what is it then about yeah. this because essentially plastic is convenient that's mm. why we use it it's lightweight yeah. Um, it's cheap, like it's very convenient for us to just dispose of it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so we need to examine human humans wanting such convenience and absolutely not allowing for anything less. So there's been a proposal to bring in a sort of similar but quite different um, scheme in England where there'd be a deposit included in the price of cans and plastic bottles. So the price would go up slightly, but you'd get that money back when you return the container. Um, so there's a, there's similar schemes in Germany um, where that deposit is about 22p um, and also in Sweden where it's about 8p. So... This is interesting, right? Because this system, right, has existed in Sri Lanka for a long time. Like, I remember as a kid going, like, it, it was slightly more, you would take an empty bottle of Coke, right? That you, like, you had one in your house, you'd take it, exchange it, and only pay for the Coke that's in the bottle. And then every time you went back, you'd exchange it for another bottle. Whereas if you wanted to take the bottle away with you, you had to pay a slightly more. I think they do similar things in Ghana, because you pay for minerals like the the drinks um and then you take the bottles back mm. and you can get them refilled and that's their glass bottles not yeah. plastic yeah mm. just yeah. the glass ones yeah. yeah 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 and so that's how they do it and i think that's that's really i always found that really really interesting i always found it weird that one they don't serve coke in glass here um yeah. because glass coke is infinitely better um, <laughs> it tastes so much better yeah um if you've never had glass coke glass <laughs> Coke. Don't don't ever it come to. It doesn't actually have glass. It in doesn't it. have glass in it. It's served in in like the special glass bottle. And you're coming to me like, oh, you need to try quinoa. You need to try this superfood. Fuck you. You haven't lived your life. Fuck you. You don't ever get to come to me and say, oh, you should try this new other different food. Oh, you don't know food. No, because you don't know glass coke. You don't know glass coke. You haven't lived. Yeah. You don't know glass coke. The joy of glass coke and the joy of taking your bottle back and getting more glass coke. Every time we worry, we're going into like far too dark a subject. We find a way to make it lighthearted again. Do you not understand the USP of this podcast? Yes. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Hello, Wine You Were Doctor Yet fans. Alex here. If you're enjoying the recycling discussion from our materials expert, Anna Pajajski, why don't you check her out on her podcast? Real Talk is a podcast where Anna avoids talking to scientists and instead talks to people who are working with or fascinated by certain materials. She's talked to blacksmiths about steel, dentists about mercury, and was convinced by a chocoholic to burn an Oreo because of something to do with science. Oh, yeah, oh. there was a bit of a flame there. Yeah. In <laughs> well, I mean, I think... It's, it appears, actually, I thought it was a flame, but now, looking at it now, it's just completely unchanged. Wow. I mean, I think that probably speaks to the calorific content of an Oreo, doesn't it? Mm. That like it's not phased it at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's That's like really it's like a ceramic tile. <laughs> you can find Anna and more of a materials goodness on Real Talk. That's R I A L Talk. 
Yes, that's a play on words. Yes, I know that for all intents and purposes, real and real sound exactly the same. Yes, I know that's not good for podcasts, a primarily audio medium. Listen to Real Talk and take it up with her. Back to the episode. About 40 countries worldwide, um, including Germany and Sweden um, and Israel, and 21 US states have some sort of deposit return scheme as well. As it, like the plastic bag tax in the UK, I think is quite a good example of where a scheme has worked. And isn't that amazing that it's like you just had to put a small charge on it, like 5p, right? Yeah. And people automatically stop change. That behavior changed. Like, so I'm, significant. I'm as guilty of this as anyone else. Well, yeah, like, absolutely, I, yeah. absolutely. Me too. Because like when I used to work in an office, like you know, there'd be times when you know you buy a load of stuff, like when you're going out for lunch or something, and just grab a plastic bag. And it was like the moment it was going to cost five p. It's like yeah. no, I will carry a pile of ten <laughs> things. Back How many things do I balance yeah. on my head? Yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, I'm. South, South Asians here. Yeah, like, we can no, balance no, things no, in our heads. No, no, okay. no, sorry, sorry, sorry. You haven't seen West African people balance things <laughs> in their heads. Okay, I've seen a woman selling plantain on the side of the road, and it was hot plantain, all right? And it's a big bowl, all right? Like a big bowl. So <laughs> people of the uh, internet who are listening, um, I'm about 5'11 on a good day, okay? My arm span is relative to that. This bowl was about my arm span. It was balanced on one woman's head okay she had braids and then a little like cotton thing above it and she was able to pull all of this stuff out she was able to sell like plantain gum like and keep it segmented in different areas it was a corner shop on, on her head on her head and that is completely usual so don't come to me saying oh south asians do it better than the west africans do it we will have a street hawker olympics <laughs> all right fuck this 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 nonsense egg on spoon race no our sports day will be balancing things in your head running you them selling that. them there we oh go. my god yes this does go. actually sound amazing i want this as a reality tv show <laughs> anyway back back to it um so incentivized schemes exist like yeah. you say that it's sort of these plastic bags you mm-hmm. stopped uh being so blase with mm-hmm. plastic bags like do you guys at home have bag of bags yes yeah. oh yeah my mom has the best bag of bags because it's a woman in traditional dress and every time you fill it up her dress gets bigger and bigger and bigger oh, <laughs> that's, that's brilliant mom loves it it's fucking terrifying so if you walk into the kitchen when it's dark and you just see the beady eyes of it and it swings sometimes when there's a draft um they're like what the fuck is this oh my- <laughs> it's a a bag of bags and you can see but what i love about it is that you can it's a really good visual reminder how many plastic bags Mm. you're using yeah 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 and that's really fascinating well so like in in my house right what i noticed since since we had this this 5p bag charge right i've started every reusable bag i put it in now the bag of bags right so we don't have like that many plastic bag- bags at home anymore, mm. but we used to have so many. Every time we moved out, it's like, oh, great packing material. But this time we're moving, we're like, I haven't got that many bags, you know? So it is working. So these incentivized schemes work. What I thought was interesting was South Africa, they started this scheme where you exchange recyclable waste for like almost like a credit card system. So they put credit on this card, which you can- I understand how credit spe- cards work. I mean, <laughs> 
do you though no yes i do okay <laughs> so like that so they put they put credit on this card and then you can specifically it's more like a store card so you can specifically go go and spend it in specific stores like so that's that's not that's a great way to incentivize because then you like you can really see like reward systems yeah. right so people would be like oh i can go and buy this x thing that i really want just by giving them my rubbish yeah. essentially so you can work out like how many plastic bottles mm. you can recycle and you know to get like an xbox or something exactly yeah yeah yeah. so i think those kind of schemes really need to take off Mm. and then that will really change the way we look at but that's the thing it's you shouldn't appeal to people's altruism because that can wax and wane appeal to their self-interest exactly yeah Yeah. give me the money that's what we want i think it might be in sweden it's probably a scandinavian country um i think it's sweden where you can take your plastic bottles to the supermarket and they'll give you cash for them. Mm. And the government subsidised this. Um, they must have done a calculation that actually it's cheaper to do that than it is to deal with the bottles later down the track to export yeah. to China, for example. Like there must, I don't, I don't know enough about it, but there are definitely schemes that are being trialled surrounding mm. reuse, returning, trying to create a circular economy around plastics. Mm. But it relies on people doing that. So if you said to people, okay, we're not going to sell water in plastic bottles anymore Mm. in most places you would have to supply water fountains in in offices and in you know on the streets in parks Mm. i think to counter that so i know in one place in uh haiti plastic can end up acting sort of incubators for mosquitoes Mm. and they end up you know spreading diseases like which aren't great um, and it can also leach those toxins um, into drinking sources and stuff. So in Haiti, where 75% of people lack access to clean drinking water, partly because of these contaminated water supplies, it's really important that you know you start recycling. And when you've got a place like there where they've got you know, an ongoing cholera crisis and stuff, um, it's really important. So they've started to incentivize uh, like the collection of plastic waste and bringing it in. Um, so you can bring it in to, for things like cooking oil, uh, heating oil, like school fees. Um, and it's really brilliant because people end up like getting all of that on, not in physical cash, but in through an app. Yeah. And so that's bringing real world problems and giving people agency and, you know, giving them the ability to make not only their country better, but to make their own lives better. That's it, isn't it? Like we, that's those are the I think the schemes that will really work because it makes an impact on individual people's lives, right? Yeah. So I've been really interested in economic incentives in sort of conservation and environmentalism for quite a while. Um, it sort of reminded me that I gave a talk on this back in my final year of university, um, and someone in the audience who was white, um, with no sense of irony, accused me of being imperialist. <laughs> Why? What did you say? Yeah, Hannah, what did you their say? argument was that sort of any sort of scheme where people in the West are putting money into like a project to then sort of incentivize people in um, less developed areas of the world um, was imperialist. Um, whereas my view was that maybe using some of the wealth that you know we've accumulated by trashing the planet um to help other people (laughs) clean up the planet 
maybe the less imperialist, you know, thing to do. I think it is a double standard. So in some countries like Haiti, you know, uh, things like cholera. Mm. But people don't care about that when they view it here because they've saved the war. They've, they've saved the world. It's the war on plastics. People have stopped using plastics. So, you know, everything's great because they are able to drink quinoa salad through their reusable straw, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so that's... And also it's, it's this whole, like... With those diseases, you know, they're like, they just seen as well, you know, that's what happens over there. Like, again, that's another thing I find really frustrating. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's because there are reasons why those diseases are prevalent in those countries. Yeah. And it's really messed up because it's not thinking about the, the human issues behind it. Like, mm -hmm. There's also a worry for me when we look at certain diseases and we just sort of go, well, that's what happens over there. Mm. And it's not something we need to worry about mm. that ignores... A sort of big things like climate change that mm. could bring those diseases here. Not even climate change. What about people like us who live here but have family in places like that, go there and then come back? So I was about to say, oh, shit, <laughs> when I was 12 years old, I got um, a disease called dengue fever, which is... <laughs> <laughs> hey man, that's a real... I was fucking no, terrified of that. You got dengue fever! How did you get dengue fever? Because <laughs> it's prevalent in life. Yes, because it's not a disease that just happens to other people. Exactly. I had dengue fever. My mum had dengue fever. She was literally in the hospital bed across from me. It really wasn't that bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, there was some building work going on in near to the flat that me and my mum were living in. And the, um, like, contractors i guess that's what you call them the company that's doing building work went bankrupt and lots of the um so lots of the like sort of half finished building work got filled with water which turned into stagnant water which meant the mosquitoes bred by the time i was actually diagnosed most of the worst symptoms were over because i'd been misdiagnosed twice what did you get misdiagnosed with stomach flu <laughs> so me and my mum were both misdiagnosed twice by two different doctors. Singapore does not play around. You're 12. Like, what yeah. the fuck? And I think my point is that Singapore is generally considered quite an affluent country. I think there's only a few measures that are sort of keeping it out of being officially classed as a first world nation. Like, it doesn't take much mm. for those sort of diseases to suddenly affect people. And it isn't just about poverty or different ways of life that people look right. down on. <laughs> I mean, you can view plastic as a way to sequester CO2 emissions because when it comes down to it, plastic is made from petroleum. If we didn't use this petroleum, this oil to make plastics, we'd probably be burning it for energy and releasing CO2. When you package it up into plastics, um, that the CO2 won't get out because as I said they're indestructible. They won't biodegrade. Um, so what you end up with is carbon that gets wrapped up into plastics. Yes, we bury it in the ground and yes, it doesn't degrade, but it also doesn't give, give off CO2. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to choose a plastic bag or a paper bag, you're choosing between a material that won't degrade in the environment but won't have any CO2 emissions as it does so, or you're choosing between a paper bag which will biodegrade and will release CO2. So this is such a complex issue and that's massively sort of um, boiled down. There's, there's far many more factors than those. Um, but at the point of degradation, a plastic bag won't be as damaging to the environment in terms of uh, carbon dioxide emissions than a paper bag. Wow. 
That's so interesting because I don't think I've ever like really thought about it like that, you know? So mm. that's such a such an interesting viewpoint that no one really thinks about. What do you think the future of this is? Like recycling, the war on plastics, like are the attitudes in the world going to change? Are we going to take a more worldwide view rather than a, a moral high ground, us and them be better? I think it's up to the nerds. Technology is going to fix this, right? Hannah is looking at me so cynically right now. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's going to be the politicians. They're going to solve this. <laughs> it, it's more just how close Oz is getting to that line of like, science will save the world and it's better than everything. No, it's not better than everything. But I think there is some cool tech that is going to help. But no. No, I, and, I, and, and all this, if you, if you get too zealous, keep them in line. Okay. <laughs> So what what is there? What is there that could work from science? So like, so there is one, oh my God, said, said the scientist. So this is a company called MacRuber and they're trying, they've like developed this way to mix plastic with asphalt. And apparently like that can make better roads. So the roads are more stable and that means you won't get all these potholes forming and stuff. So that's one like new development in sort of tech and like materials, I guess. So in the early 1990s, there was an Indian entrepreneur called Ahmed Khan who decided to take sort of two um, of the biggest problems in Bangalore, which is sort of overflowing plastic um, and and sort of dodgy roads. And he started mixing plastic in with asphalt. I can't say that word, asphalt. That, that sounds really, really familiar. Isn't that insane? Like that this story. So like, when did this happen? It started in the early 90s, but I've got an article here from 2009. Nearly 1,000 miles of roads have already been built in India using this technique. Oh, if Oz doesn't get a date up soon, we're going to have to call Don't. technological appropriation. Uh, what's really cool is these roads like withstand monsoons better as well. Oh, can MacRiever's uh, roads withstand monsoons? So like if you go on MacRiever's website, their front page is the end of the road for wow, waste plastic. I mean, this story came out here in 2017. <laughs> oh, oh, it's not looking good for MacRiever. It's it's not looking, I mean, and also it's like an article that's endorsed by the UK's Department for International Trade. Oh, oh, not but, looking good. Uh, yeah, again, like it's, it's crazy that that story, given that that's existed for a while and it's already been used. Apparently it's been patented and everything. Wow. <laughs> well damn sort of on a similar note there was a um architecture graduate in new york who developed a way of mixing plastic bags with concrete to make bricks um and it sort of keeps the plastic out of landfills but apparently it also sort of eliminates the need for like a specific thing that's normally added to concrete that has to be mined which is quite cool that's really really cool so that's like a new yeah. way of creating buildings and creating places where people can live yeah. as well as solving waste problems yeah and i guess like both with the the concrete sort of bricks and also the roads like it's you know we we talk a lot about how the like we're never going to be able to get rid of the plastic so storing it in things that we need to build anyway yeah. makes a lot of sense and it's providing infrastructure for these places mm. and that's you know the thing that's needed it's you need roads to be able to travel between cities or to travel to work you, know, you need places to live you need you know places to to work and stuff so that's yeah that's really great and there's there's places like so places like thailand they're taking plastic and they're turning it into really beautiful like 
everyday like items like coasters and like you can even go into maker spaces and turn it into things that you want to make so like that's like quite a cool way to mm. like take this plastic and you know do something creative with it i guess there's another company uh it's a uk based one called recycling technologies they've found a way to break down plastics and make oil out of it and they can use that oil as fuel or get this they can use it as fuel to then create other plastics but it's just like how it was mind-blowing that you can actually change plastics into something that's actually useful for production you mean like recycling yeah but the thing is like for me like no honestly recycling the way i see it is like you take take it you melt it down you make the same thing again but this is creating new stuff and like when it's fuel it's upcycling well, uh, see again, up, if you say upcycling to me, like I would look at it as like taking an old IKEA table and like putting a load of coins on it, and then like putting like something else on it and just making. That's taking... very home counties of you. I I'm not from the home counties though. From Bahrain. From Bahrain and Sri Lanka. <laughs> Is there anything else that people are doing? Yeah, so like this, uh, play in in Taipei, they have these mobile apps. So this is just these 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 are initiatives to help people recycle better, right? So there are apps that let them track when there's a garbage truck uh, truck nearby, and also um, they're also imposing fines on people. So like if if you don't recycle, then you get into trouble. And there are places where they actually have cameras to track this as well. Fucking so like hell. that that's a bit like extreme i guess but at the same time an app that tells you when the garbage truck is coming that's handy especially like if you've forgotten to like put your wheelie bin out right if the app alerts you say like hypothetically in the uk if that exists that's that's good right like that's going to make you think about recycling more think about like how you're managing your waste a bit more one thing i thought was really really uh, interesting there's a group of 14 year olds who discovered a way to reuse styrofoam did you see this news story So they've they figured out that styrofoam, right, the structure of styrofoam is composed of carbon and they found a way to change that carbon into activated carbon, which is used in a lot of uh, water filters. So essentially taking styrofoam, which is incredibly hard to get rid of and to recycle, almost impossible, t- turning that into something that you can clean water with. A bunch of 14-year-olds did this. Isn't that crazy? Fucking hell. What were you doing at 14 apart from surviving dengue fever? <laughs> no, I survived. Well, I moved from Singapore back to the UK at the age of 14. Jesus Christ. So mostly dealing with adapting to like a state school in the Northwest. At 14, I think I learned how to do a backflip. I was doing my AS levels. Oh my God, why are you so... I just feel like I did, like you guys have been bringing me down to this episode, so I feel like I just put that in there, man. <laughs> Prick. <laughs> You're like some sort of child... Pro- pro- how do you say that word? Prodigy. Prodigy, there you go. I wasn't. Basically, my sister is a, was a child prodigy, and my parents thought that they had like these super... like. Eggs and oh, okay. Asian parents got yeah. it. Yeah, so they were like, no, "Oh, no, we more. produce one, we produced another one. Let's put them through at the same pace." And I was like, "I can't cope with this, but I'll do it anyway." <laughs> <laughs> you can almost see the pain like coming through. Yeah, um, it's fun being Asian. So- <laughs> I think my major advice is to not only think about the plastics waste that you're producing, but to think about all of the waste that you're producing. And that starts with what you're purchasing, um, 
whether you purchase clothes or shoes that are going to be have a short lifetime um, or a longer lifetime, there's so much that we dispose of beyond plastic packaging. Mm. Um, and all of this has to go somewhere and most of it goes into landfill. Um, so being mindful, trying to reduce the waste that you produce, reuse it if you possibly can, um, try and keep it in use as much as possible until it is until it's beyond its useful lifetime. Then it can go into landfill um, or be recycled. I think I'm really hopeful that consumer pressure will start to change things. I think it was quite interesting as all the buzz around plastic has sort of increased that you had the government sort of saying that they were going to make changes by some distant time in the future when I was going to be like old and grey. And But then you had companies like I think it was Iceland saying that they were going to strive to make their supermarkets plastic free in you know a matter of years and I think it is that interesting thing again it's the economic incentives but on a bigger scale of companies going oh there's this attention people are really thinking about it we need to start changing things um and in a way that sort of benefits everyone and is easier for everyone than Mm. plastic free grocery stores so if I were to ask you what do you think the most likely solution to this massive convoluted interlinking multifaceted problem that is plastic recycling culture everything like what what would you say the one simplistic soundbite thing is i would say it's to find a way for you to find peace with your bin man alex it's all about locking up the plastic in roads i think i'm hoping that it will come from appealing to people's self-interest I don't like like the cynical way you put it. It's not, it's not cynical. That's the thing. It's, it, it's you are appealing to people's self. Even Iceland doing that, they're appealing to their own self interest. Yeah, yeah. It's appealing to people's self interest rather than their moral. Because altruism, it go, it goes with the basically soft. people are selfish. Yeah, like, and so, play, yeah. but yeah, that's that's human nature. So play on that. But also, like being a human is difficult, and I think we need to. <laughs> no, it's true. It is, and we need to make doing the right thing very much in inverse commas like as easy as possible for people i think that's what it's going to come down to exactly and so it's being aware that lots of people live these lifestyles in the uk and around the world that aren't as easy as um some people who are pushing to make laws or pushing on social media to you know really really change the world they're changing the world in the way that they see um it should be changed and that's not right for everyone globally. Exactly. The world is for everyone. Exactly. The world is for everyone. I know I've been banging on about it, but like we think it is completely useless, but it is an incredible feat of human engineering that we have taken oil that is dead dinosaurs and we've created it to be colourful, flexible, lightweight. You know, our aeroplanes now are made of mostly carbon fibre reinforced plastic. That Mm. is an incredible feat of human engineering. These materials are valuable. Loads of time of poor material scientists has gone into producing these materials for us to use for our convenience. Give them the value that they deserve. Enjoy using plastics and just appreciate them when you do use them and feel happy that you can wear clothes and (laughs) podcasts. Guys, we've come to the end of the podcast. I'm sad. I'm sadder than you. It's not a competition, <laughs> Oz. Guys, do you feel that you've learned something today? I have immensely learned lots of stuff today and it's definitely opened my eyes. 
I've learnt a lot today as well. As always, I've been your host, Alex Lathbridge. I've been joined by Oz and Hannah. See you later. Bye. And this has been Why Aren't You a Doctor Yet? Peace. So you might be thinking, oh my God, how do I hear more about this podcast that combines science, tech, popular culture and comedy so effortlessly? Or you might be thinking, oh wow, these guys are geniuses and I have questions only they can answer. Or you might be thinking, oh my God, these hosts aren't even real doctors and I know more science than them and I want them to know this. How do I let them know this as quickly as possible? Well, what you can do is subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and all other podcasting apps. And I know you hear it everywhere, but a comment on Apple Podcasts really, really helps. You can email us your questions, comments, news stories, or just say hey at whynotadoc at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at whynotadoc if you want to keep up to date with what we're doing or be pedantic. We'll see you next episode.